Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Good. Let's jump in here. So, last week, we talked about the whopper of the promise that Paul introduces right away in Romans 8. That therefore, there is now absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no longer any sin, any judgment, any anything for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we also talked about how that's an exclusive promise, right? You can't just come and claim that promise if you aren't in Christ Jesus. And so we talked about what does that mean? I know I've, I've heard plenty of sermons on what it means to be in the Spirit and to be walking in the Spirit. And we love to make it a formula, right? Well, if you do this and this and this, and if you look like this and this and this, then you're in the Spirit. But that's not what Paul says, is it? Paul says that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ is in the Spirit, right? Anybody who has the Spirit of God is in Christ, right? That's all there is to it. And then we talked about, the Bible tells us, you cannot say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God without the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. So that means you have the Spirit. If you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you have the Spirit. The question is, how much of your life are you letting the Spirit lead? Or are you trying to do this co-ownership thing, right? Jesus doesn't do co-ownership. Do you all know that? He doesn't do that. Jesus either owns it all or he's not interested in the business deal, but he's not, let me tell you right now, he is not going to strike deals with you where you say, well, Jesus, I own this part of my life, but I'll give you this part. Jesus isn't going to do that, y'all. He's not. And if you are living life right now under that operation, I'm going to warn you as your loving pastor, I am going to warn you. you he is going to call you to task on it. Those doors that you refuse to open to him, that you keep hidden, the skeletons in your closet, your dirty laundry, he's going to ask for it. There will come a point in following Jesus Christ. He is going to demand everything because he's God. And at that moment, you either decide he is worth everything or he's not. Woe to those who decide that he is not right? But hopefully, we all are in a position when that day comes, if we haven't already crossed that bridge. And, and let me tell you, y'all, right? We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about Romans 7. What's Paul, the Apostle Paul, what's he say? He says, I die daily, right? 
so don't think just because you pass the test once that it's all over, right? There will come these moments day after day after day where God's going to push you to say, Jeremy, are you willing to crucify this? Hopefully he doesn't say Jeremy to you because that's what he says to me because that's my name. But he'll ask me, Jeremy, are you going to crucify this? Jeremy, are you going to stop this? Jeremy, are you going to give me this? And every day I must die to give Jesus what he deserves. My life surrendered, right? So that promise in Romans 8, we get a lot of Christians who like to trumpet up and jump around and claim the promise, right? It's not as cheery as some people make it out, right? Because there's a price that comes. There's a price that must be paid for these promises. Contrary to popular teaching in the church today, you don't get to follow God however you want. I don't get to wake up tomorrow and decide, eh, commandment eight, I'm not really down with that today, and so I'm going to do my own thing. I know Jesus says that marriage is this, but I don't really like that definition, so I'm not going to do that. I know that God says that he should be the one who defines my identity, but I kind of feel like doing it myself. I don't feel like that today. We can't follow Jesus that way. That's me trying to follow Jesus my way, which in the end is me trying to make God in my image, which in the end is what the serpent tempted Eve with, right? You can become like God without God. And the same applies today, y'all. You can follow Jesus and you get to determine what he looks like. It's a lie. It was a lie from the beginning. It's a lie today. Now today, we move on to the next part of Romans 8. And another promise that God gives us, and this is a promise that has been implied already, but today we hit it straight up. Just head first, diving in. Now, I don't know about you all. For me, when I think of Romans 8, I think, therefore, there is now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. I think of that one. And then I think about the end of Romans 8, where nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Right? Those are the two promises I get in Romans 8. But y'all, if you read all of Romans 8, there are so many good promises in here. And today might be the best one. I know that we like, you know, the beginning and the end of Romans 8. We really love those ones, and people sing songs about them, and we've made worship songs and all the things. But guys, this promise today is really good. So from the scripture passage that Jana read for you, Romans 8, 9 through 14, we ask the question, did God really say that he lives in you? Now, we've talked a lot lately about Christianity and Judaism, right? The Old Testament versus the New Testament. And the danger in Christianity is that we can get into this mindset that the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. That because we're in the New Covenant, because we're in the New Testament, we don't have to worry about the Old Testament. But that's not true. That's a lie. And so we look at the Old Testament, and lots of times we can say, oh, look, Old Testament, that's mean God, right? That's the God who smites people and gets mad, and like, that's the dad. He spanks people and gives them the rod and all this stuff. But then New Testament is Jesus, 
and he's like the mom that everybody runs to to be consoled. And, but guys, God doesn't change, right? Now, that said, today we talk about something that is different from the Old and the New Testament. And that's this idea that God dwells in you. That is a new concept from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, this didn't happen. Not like it happens today. Until Acts 2. In Acts 2, we have the day of Pentecost, right? Where the disciples are gathering and the Holy Spirit falls, and the Holy Spirit falls on each different individual who believes in Jesus Christ. That didn't happen in the Old Testament, y'all. The Holy Spirit could come upon people, and the Holy Spirit would act through people, and the Holy Spirit would do things, but this idea that the Holy Spirit would come, that the presence of God would come and live inside of individuals, blasphemous. Absolutely not. Right? Where did Jews have to go to worship God? To his presence, which dwelt where? In the temple. So this idea, I mean, lots of times, I think this is part of the problem with that Old Testament, New Testament disconnect. Lots of times when we read through the Gospels and we read through what Jesus is saying, and even when we read through what a lot of the apostles are saying in these letters, this stuff was blasphemous to Jews, the fact that Paul would be teaching this, I mean, you know, like we read these stories in the book of Acts about like Paul getting stoned outside of the city. It's like, oh yeah, they just stoned him. Why? Right? Why do you stone someone? Because what they are saying is complete blasphemy. The Jews didn't do it just because they were cranky that day and felt like picking up stones and throwing it at people. It's because what Paul was saying was completely blasphemous to the Jewish people. And this concept that God would choose to live inside of us is unheard of. In any other world religion, y'all, that God would choose, the, the God Most High would choose to make his dwelling inside of me. It's pure insanity. Right? And even when you try to wrap your mind around it. It's still insane to me. It doesn't make any sense. But is this what God promised us? And if so, are we living like it? We've talked about this a lot here at the Gospel House. But y'all, if we call ourselves spirit-filled believers, you know, there's, there's a funny, it's not even like a definition, but it's just how people carry themselves. When, when you talk about spirit-filled believers, well, we're spirit-filled believers, which means that we speak in tongues and we he, believe in supernatural healing and supernatural stuff. And, and so, like, we're spirit-filled when it comes to supernatural stuff. But Jesus wants us to be spirit-filled all the time. So that, yes, we can do supernatural things, but we can do completely natural things in the Spirit, too. When I clean my house... I do it in the Spirit. When I come to church, I walk through the door in the Spirit. When we have conversations, I do it in the Spirit. That doesn't mean that I sit here and speak in tongues. That wasn't tongues for all of you who are about to stone me for speaking in tongues without an interpreter. I was making it up. That wasn't real tongues. 
But for those of us, like, I don't have to have a conversation with you in tongues for it to be the Spirit working, right? Do we depend on the Holy Spirit for everything? And if he lives in us, why not? Why am I relying on my strength and my power to do anything in this life? Do you want to be a Spirit-filled church? Do you want to be a spirit-filled believer? Then what are we doing? I don't want to be only spirit-filled when it comes to doing supernatural stuff. If the spirit leads me to do supernatural stuff, so be it. But I want to be spirit-filled all the time. And I think that's what God wants. That's why God has given us the offer to move in, right? To take over, as it were so that we can live a spirit-filled life all the time. So, if this is the promise, let's walk in it. Right? So here's how. First, today we are going to look at the promise. We are going to look at the outcome of that promise. And then finally, we are going to claim our mansion. But it's got to be the right one. Right? So, let's start with the promise. And this is an absolutely incredible promise. This is our bridge passage. We're going to do this every week, I think. So far, that's the direction we're heading. But where we're ending, we end this week's, or we start this week's sermon with last week's final verse, which comes in Romans 8, 9. So this is the verse we ended with last week, where Paul says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now we've hit on this each of the past two weeks. And you can see this tying in with a sermon series that we stopped last year, right after Easter, that sermon series that we talked about beyond the tomb. It's all about living in resurrection power. You can go back and listen to those if you want to. They're on our website. You just got to scroll a little bit longer because it was almost a year ago. But we can see it, right? This is what it is to live in resurrection power. This is the power that Jesus Christ bought for us. But there's a requirement here. Like we talked about last week, you are not in the flesh anymore. If the Spirit of God dwells in you. Which means there is constantly a decision that has to be made. Are you walking in the flesh? Or are you walking in the Spirit? And if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, then you've got to listen to it. Does it make any sense for the Spirit of Christ to dwell in us and to listen to something else that's speaking? For God himself to be living in us and with us, directing our steps, and for us to listen to what, what, my human intuition? It doesn't make any sense. So why are we so quick to do it? We can tell how quick we are to do it because of how quickly we try to turn walking in the Spirit into a formula, right? Because guess what? Humans can do formulas, If you just do X, Y, and Z, well, then you're walking in the Spirit. 
But that's not what Paul says. Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, listen. We, we, because it's, it's in our, it's hardwired in our flesh to revert back to legalism, to revert back to checking boxes. That's, it's hardwired in us. That's why we are so desperate for walking in the Spirit to be a checklist. Because if I wake up every morning and read my Bible, and if I wake up and then pray, and then plead the blood, and, then, and, I, and I make it the checklist, then I have the Spirit. But then I'm not relying on Christ for that Spirit. The Gospel is relying completely on Jesus for everything. Everything. We have got to get there. Like we talked about, y'all, God does not do co-ownership. Right? Look, you know, if, if Jan and I, we can't afford our mortgage anymore, we can bring somebody in with us and they can co-own the house with us, help us make mortgage payments. Jesus doesn't need that. He doesn't need your help to pay for his temple. He paid for it, didn't he? So why are you struggling to own it? All through the Old Testament, the common theme we get over and over again is God says, I do not share my glory with anyone. And honestly, y'all, I think that's why we try to do this co-ownership thing with Jesus. You know, you know some of us do the co-ownership thing with Jesus because we don't want to do what he says, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't want to give someone that level of control. But then there's other of us, you know, who do the right things, but we do it in our strength because at the end of the day, Jesus, I want my gold star. But what is that? That's, that's co-ownership. That's trying to share in God's glory. But the craziest, this has always blown my mind. This is like one of those, the most cyclical arguments. It just goes round and round and round and round, and it makes your head hurt if you really start to think about it. But this is the craziest thing to me, y'all. God says in the Old Testament, I do not share my glory with anyone. But you know what's wild? Is the minute you get that, guess what you get a share in? His glory. <laughs> Isn't that weird? But as long as I approach him with that as a motive, I don't get it. But it's like as soon as I lay it down, and I'm like, you know what, God, I, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want the glory. I humble myself before him. God, I don't, I don't want any of the attention. I don't want any of the fame. I don't want any, like, it's all for you, Jesus, and not like the humble brag. You guys know the humble brag. Ugh. Legit, right? There's nothing more disgusting than false humility. It's gross, isn't it? And yet all the time. All the time, I have been so guilty of it, right? Great sermon. Oh, it's all for the glory of God. <laughs> Look at me being so humble, right? But you can smell it a mile away. But when I really lay it down, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Come and share my glory. And you step into it but not when we seek it on our own. God is not looking to co-own this temple that he purchased. He wants complete ownership. Jesus paid for complete 
ownership. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's funny to me. I've been in the church world for a little while. And it's always interesting the different comments that you hear when you're at church for a long time. But you get a lot of comments from people when you're in the sanctuary. I remember one time very specifically, I think it was Christmas time because people get really funny about Christmas. They were playing secular music, secular Christmas music. And somebody got very, very upset. How dare you play secular music in God's house? You don't do that inside of the sanctuary, right? And there's probably some of you right now that are like, yeah, that's right, you don't. But it's interesting to me that we get so offended by the things that go, kids can't eat in the sanctuary. Don't let kids eat in the sanctuary. You are making a mess of God's house. But yet, what do we subject our temple to? Right? Because some people are completely cool listening to secular music in their car, but not in God's sanctuary. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you aren't good with it happening in here, why are you good with it happening as soon as you walk out the doors? Right? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Look, this is an incredible promise, but guys, these are double-edged swords, right? This is an incredible promise. But if I'm not going to put content up on this screen that I wouldn't want you all watching on a Sunday morning, why am I putting it up at my house? Right? Why am I looking at it on my computer? Why am I looking at it on my phone? Why am I listening to it in my ear pods? AirPods. I was on a roll and I just screwed it all up. Sermon's done. Right? We have such a reverence for a building that God never said his spirit dwells in anymore. Old Testament, his spirit dwelt in a temple. New Testament, his spirit dwells in you. Why are you consuming the garbage that you're consuming? Is that the spirit or is it the flesh? There's a lot of garbage that Jeremy Metzger consumes that's not led by the spirit, y'all. And it's got to go. It has to go. If the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, that's the promise, right? And we love that promise when it gets us out of a pickle. But if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, why are you messing with some of the stuff you're messing with? Why are you watching some of the garbage that you're watching? Why are you listening to the trash you're listening to? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not this building. Not the gospel house. Not any of the other fine church establishments scattered across the world. Not any of the crappy church establishments that are scattered across the world. 
God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore, y'all. So irked the other day because I heard somebody was talking about these, you know, missions trips over to Africa and, you know, they're planting all of these churches and building these buildings and, you know, like, oh, they're, they, these people are so thankful because, you know, if, if we didn't come with our support and our money, they wouldn't be able to build these buildings. Flip the tables. The church isn't a building, right? So we're going over to overseas and we're funding these churches into the wrong thing. You don't need a building to gather in. I'm thankful that we have this building. I'm thankful that we gather. But y'all, the gospel house didn't start in this building. We started in Jana's in, in my living room. That was where we first started meeting. Then we moved to the Hecklinger's barn. And if this building were to burn down, guess what? We'll meet in the parking lot. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in a building. Some of us get so offended about what we bring into a building, but we're completely dead, completely oblivious to what we're bringing into the temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in. If you wouldn't talk that way in this church, why are you talking that way at all? Right? You see where I'm coming from? Do you, do you feel thoroughly bludgeoned? Should we, should we move on? <laughs> Y'all, listen. This is unbelievable comfort that God dwells with us. Because it is, you know, we can talk about the, the, the soft and sentimental side of this. What this means is, if God is inside of us, y'all, I am never alone, right? And that is an incredible promise in Scripture, this Old and New Testament promise. God says that all the time. You are not alone. Though you walk through the flood, though you pass through the fire, I am with you. You are not alone. And that is an incredible promise. But ladies and gentlemen, that requires an incredible surrender too. Because it's not just when I pass through the fire and flood. It's when I go through my day to day. I cannot sit here and tell God, hey God, um, can you just look over that way for just a couple seconds? I gotta have a conversation with somebody who messed up my order at McDonald's and you're not gonna wanna see this. Cover your ears, earmuffs, God, earmuffs, cover them, right? God, do you need to go shopping or something? Because I need like 30 minutes of alone time. <laughs> Could you just step out? Because I got yeah, I don't want you to see this. It's not how it works. That has never been an offer. When God offers this promise to us, that's never been the promise. And if we're walking in it, if we're actually walking in this promise, then our life shouldn't look like that. It should look different because there's an outcome that happens when we actually live like the Spirit of God is dwelling within us. When we actually walk in the promise. There's a lot of people who just abuse the promises of God, which means we got one foot in the promise and then we got the other foot in the world, right? Right? 
You know how awkward it would be if I walked around like this, y'all? Right? It'd be awkward, let's be honest. And I'm being generous because my pants are going to rip if I try to go any further than this. But the reality is, I mean, guys, some of us are doing the splits, aren't we? Trying to look like a Christian in front of our Christian friends, but look like the world in front of our worldly friends. Because, I mean, come on, that's how we get influence. God's not worried about your influence. God's not worried about what you look like to your worldly friends. Stop trying to straddle the fence and just pick a side. You hear me? Pick a side. I'm not even telling you to pick Jesus. I hope you pick Jesus, but I can't make that decision for you. Stop straddling the fence and do one or the other. I've told some of you this story before, but Jan and I, when we were starting to try to have children, we had a lot of trouble and Jana finally got pregnant, and we had a miscarriage, and it was, it was brutal. Like, we thought that God had, like, answered a prayer that, like, we finally are going to have children, and then it, to have an end in miscarriage was just, like, you know, waving our fists at God, like, what are you doing to us? Why would you do this to us, right? And we went through a super, super dark season, super dark where, you know, we, we, it was just so wishy-washy. Like, we'd go to church, but then we'd just be absolutely depressed and in the dumps and not want to have anything to do with God. And just going through that whole, the gamut of emotions of, like, what's the point of even praying if, if God's just going to do whatever he wants anyway, right? And so we went through this, but then I vividly remember one day sitting down with Jana, and we just said, like, look, we have to make a decision. But we make this decision today. We are either 100% all in for God. We are giving him everything. We are going to trust whatever he decides or I'm completely done. I'm walking away from the faith entirely. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But we have to decide today. It's one or the other. I'm done straddling this fence. And you know what we picked because we're here, right? But, guys, we've got to stop trying to live in both worlds. That's this, this lie that the world offers. Guys, Satan would love to get you all the way up to the doorstep of death with you living like this. Because guess what? Even if you do make the right choice in the end and salvation comes to you at the end and you make it to heaven, you've wasted an entire life of not saving anyone else. Even worse, you've wasted an entire life discipling people into a lie that they can live like you, that they can straddle this fence and God's cool with it. Nowhere in Scripture, though. Nobody. Have you read the book? Read the book. All of your favorite Christian superheroes, right? All the heroes of the faith. None of them straddled the fence, did they? Right? Now, I, I could go through here and give you a lecture on there, there's only one superhero in this book, right? There's only one person we're called to live like. There's that stupid Facebook post. If there's a giant in your life, it's because God sees a David in you. Shut up. It's not. Y'all, for real, God doesn't want you to be like David, right? God gave you better than David. Don't live like David. Live like Jesus. The call isn't to get to heaven and be transformed to David. That's not the call. And Jesus has given you his spirit so that you can look exactly like him. But we're so busy straddling the fence that we refuse to make a decision. 
when we actually see what's going on here in this promise. We see what Paul says through the rest of this scripture passage. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I love that passage, y'all. There's an old Hillsong song. uh, I don't even remember what it is, but it said, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. I love that verse. I love that line because I don't think we grapple with this nearly enough, y'all. The same power that conquered the grave The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. What in the world am I worried about? Right? What in the world is there that I can't accomplish? We talked about this in week one. You know, did God God tell us to stop sinning? The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. Can I stop sinning? You better believe it. You ask me to run through this wall right now, I'll do it. That's what the Spirit says to do. Right? The same power. If it rose Jesus from the dead, what can't it do? Anything. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The same Spirit that conquered the grave lives in you. So why are we walking in the flesh? All through Scripture, y'all, this isn't an Old Testament, New Testament thing, all through Scripture, the flesh leads one place, death. That's the only thing the flesh can get you. And yet, so many people choose it every day. Every day. Because what? It feels good for a moment, right? It feels good for an instant. There's that Old Testament story of Jacob and Esau, right? And Esau comes in from the fields, they're brothers. Esau's the older, Jacob's the younger, and they come in from the field. Esau's absolutely famished, right? Jacob's been sitting at home cooking stew all day. And Esau, just as dramatic as most of us, right? He comes in and says, Ah, Jacob, give me some of that stew. I'm about to die. And Jacob says, Okay, give me your birthright. And Esau says, what's my birthright if I'm going to die anyway? I'm so hungry. And so he trades it. And it is such a beautiful picture of what Jeremy Allen Metzger does every day. If I'm smart enough to apply the lesson. Daily, y'all, I trade my inheritance that Jesus Christ bought for me for a cup of soup that's going to fill me for a moment and then I'm going to be hungry again? Right? What in your life 
are you trading your eternal inheritance for that's going to be gone like that? It provides a moment of pleasure, a moment of comfort, and then it's gone. And why do we continue to make that choice? It's because we aren't being led by the Spirit. It's because we're focused on the wrong mansion. We've got to focus on the right one. I've talked about this before. You all know this. This is a pet peeve of mine. Many a times I have mounted this soapbox. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father, in my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. The old King James Version translates rooms as mansions. And so we've got a lot of wonky theology out there that says that in heaven there are many mansions. And the gooder you are on earth, I know I used the incorrect form, the gooder you are here on earth, the more rooms you get in your mansion because Jesus says so. But that's not what he says, is it? And honestly, tisk tisk, King James, it doesn't even make sense, does it? In my father's house there are many mansions it doesn't make sense we know that you can't have a mansion in a house and as it turns out the more accurate translation of that is is rooms or dwelling places which we've corrected obviously nasb has rooms here other translations have there are many dwellings but what it we're missing the whole point right but this is what we do with the promises of god We get so focused on the temporary. We get so focused on the treasure. And so even if it's not this, right? We talk about crowns. And every good deed you do is a jewel in your crown, right? And angels get their wings. It's garbage, y'all. We hammered this last year when we talked through the Beatitudes. What is our prize? Who is our prize? God, right? It's not the mansions, it's not the crowns, it's not the streets paved with gold, none of those things. Give me streets paved with asphalt. I don't care what it is, as long as Jesus is there. God is the goal. So when we look at this passage and Jesus is promising dwellings, what's he promising? He's not promising fancy rooms. He's not promising, as you guys have seen the movie Encanto, right? They got all these houses and they're magical and when you open the door inside, like the room goes on forever and there's a whole jungle in there. That's not what he's talking about. What Jesus is saying, I am preparing a place for you and it will be in the presence of my Father. And what that place looks like, as soon as he says, it will be in the presence of my Father, what it looks like shouldn't matter. What it is shouldn't matter. What we'll be wearing shouldn't matter. Some people get so bent out of shape about all of these things, and y'all, it doesn't matter because God is there. God is in the middle of it. So what is the real promise here? And we close with it in our reading today. All who are being led by the Spirit, these are sons 
and daughters of God. If the Spirit is in you, and you are continually saying no to the flesh, and yes to what the Spirit says, Paul says these are sons and daughters of God. Y'all, look at this promise. We're, this is actually where we're going to go next week. This is going to be what the promise that we focus on next week. So I'm not going to get too deep into it today. But y'all, I want you to think. I'm not gonna, I, I would never ask you to do this often. But I'm going to ask you to think of where you were before you knew Jesus. Where you were before you knew the gospel. How lost you were. How torn up you were. The sin that continued to hunt you down. And God says, that's who I want as my son, as my daughter. He still chose me. Again and again and again, I failed him, but he still chose me. Not to come and dust his floors, not to come and, and, and you know, hold a mop, not to come and shine his shoes. God chose you as a son and as a daughter. If you are being led by the Spirit. So why go any other way? Right? Look at how Jesus closes this famous mansion passage says to his disciples, And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I rag on leadership culture a lot. I don't like it. One of the things I don't like about leadership culture is that in leadership culture in the Western world, we've trained ourselves that you have to have all the answers. Right? Good leaders have all the answers. And if you don't know an answer, you just pretend that you do until you figure it out. That's not biblical, y'all. I think so many more of us are like Thomas here. Right? So many times, come on, y'all, I do it all the time. I read my Bible, ah, oh, yes, makes complete sense to me, Jesus. I know exactly what you're talking about. Come on. Jesus says, you know the way where I am going. And Thomas is the only real one. Jesus, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? Come on, I love Thomas. I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. <laughs> right? What a breath of fresh air. Because you got Paul over here, the sin that I do, I do not know what I do, and then I do this thing, right? And we're all like, yeah, I totally get you, Paul. <laughs> Come on, be honest. Jesus knows that you don't get it anyway, right? So Thomas says, God, Jesus, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you mean. And I have to believe that Jesus laughed a little bit to himself, Right? You will, Thomas. But for now, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. We get so bent out of shape, y'all, about what kind of mansion we're going to be living in in heaven. About how many jewels we'll have in our crown. About all the things. When we should be focused on what kind of mansion are we offering God while we're still on this earth. Right? That's the right mansion. That's the mansion that God's concerned with. Because what Jesus says here is, Jeremy, you don't know the way. Thomas, you don't know the way. But there's going to come a day when I am living inside of you. And I will show you the way. Constantly. Every moment. Every day. I will show you the way. Lots of times Jesus' teachings strike me as like the karate kid. right? There's like the ancient sensei who teaches you all this weird stuff, right? You don't know the way, but soon you will. And when I am in you, you will walk in way. It's like, what? But that's exactly what this promise is, y'all. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has said, I am coming to live inside of you. And when I'm there, I will show you the way. All you've got to do is walk in it. Which requires, that's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's easy, right? That's, that's as simple as it gets. There's no checklist, there's no to-do list, there's n- nothing. It's just the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is going to tell you every day what to do and where to go. But it requires every moment of every day crucifying yourself and choosing to go his way. And sometimes that choice is hard, isn't it? Let's let's be real. Let's be honest. Because God knows anyway. Choosing the Spirit over what I want to do is not always an easy choice. I wish it was. But it is a choice every day. And every day, depending on the choice that we make, that's building this temple for God. There's this really incredible quote. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says this, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and on and on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I love this quote so much. I wish I remembered it more when God was doing things I didn't understand, though. Right? God isn't making you 
into a suitable place for you to dwell, right? God isn't making you so that you can be a good friend to everybody else. He's not making you so that you can be a good Christian. He is making you into a palace that he intends to dwell in. Which means that what he does isn't always going to make sense. Which means the people he tells me to leave in the past isn't always going to be something that I want to do, that I like, right? The jobs he asks me to do, the conversations he asks me to have, they're not always going to be comfortable. But that's because he is making me into a palace fit for a king. The king of kings. God isn't concerned with your mansion in heaven, y'all. That's all going to work itself out. God is concerned with the mansion that you are becoming. A holy temple for his spirit. Which means that he will renovate us as he sees fit so that we can become the best dwelling place for him. Not a shack, not a tent, but a mansion fit for the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the promise that Romans 8 is giving us. That's the promise that the Holy Spirit has set before us. Guys, the Lord of the universe desperately wants to live inside of you. Desperately. Can you imagine that? For everything that I've done, for everything that I have been, God still wants to live inside of me and to make me into a mansion fit for a king. Will I say yes? Or will I continue to follow my own way? That's your choice, right? That's the choice that this promise presents itself. Let's run into these promises with eyes wide open, y'all. This is the choice that is set before every one of us today. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to make you into a temple for Him? Or will you continue to do things your own way? The choice is yours. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like Him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.